0: find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast.
1: What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised.
2: The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Pat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange... The bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities.
1: Well, that is just about the weirdest thing that's, uh, well, it's not the weirdest thing that's ever happened to us, but uh, I'd have to say it's right up there with one of the weirdest things that's ever happened.
3: I don't like it.
1: Um, we, are, we are dog-sitting our friend Champ who is big, bumbly Labrador, and you were outside with Champ and Banjo while they were doing their business, and you yell out to me, Sweetie, this is the weirdest thing ever.
3: Yes, when I came out our front door and down the front steps to the mat that I have in front of the front steps, it says, welcome. I don't mean it. Um, (laughs) There on the mat was a tiny little... Plastic wishbone.
1: From like the Milton Bradley game Operation. Correct. Yeah. And we have no idea how it got there. We do
3: not own the game of Operation.
1: No, it was perfectly placed right in the center of the welcome mat. So immediately I thought it's some sort of voodoo ritual. Mm, um, but obviously. Yeah. They didn't have a real uh, wishbone, chicken wishbone. So they used the, uh, the wishbone from... Operation. Mm. So I Google wishbone left on front door. Surprisingly nothing came up. Nothing? Nothing. Hmm. No. So I think we're okay with as far as the voodoo ritual goes. But now, what the hell is it?
3: That's not that's not the vibe that I'm getting from the online ness.
1: Oh, you you posted this? You know I did. Oh, okay.
3: Um so first of all, the first response was don't touch that. And I I, I agree. Mm-hmm. I'm not touching it. Mm-hmm. Uh I will not touch it. Right. Um the second one was fairies fairies then someone said a bird is bringing us gifts and then someone said a sasquatch is bringing us gifts (laughs) paranormal things were were brought up uh Uh, it's the ghosts you keep denying that you have said someone um
1: well right after voodoo haitian voodoo ritual my mind went right to poltergeist mm, activity mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. i haven't ruled that out yet
3: yeah well here's the thing we both woke up at like 430 this morning. Yeah. And uh, you went back to bed. I just got up. And so I kept hearing things out, you know, and about, which we live in the middle of the woods in Maine. It's not unusual to hear business going on. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I was a little extra paranoid. And I put I wrote it down to what's that term? I, I put it down. I wrote I, I settled on the fact that it was what's that term? Anyway, I thought it was because we watched Ringu last night. <laughs>
1: and That that could be. Could be. Yeah.
3: But that, I mean, it did not make a wishbone appear at our
1: door. No, that was weird. Really weird. I think if it is poltergeist activity, mm-hmm. it's a poltergeist uh, of uh, one of my childhood friends who may have died, and it's just taunting me because the wishbone is was one of the hardest things for me to get out of the operation game. Well, next, next to the writer's cramp, that just rolls around. <laughs> That's really hard. I was always screwing that up. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, Maybe this is the curse of Milton Bradley. Maybe. Mm.
3: I don't know enough about him to make a fun joke. I need to learn more about Milton Bradley in case this kind of situation comes up again.
1: He pretty much invented the board game, if I recall.
3: Uh, inaccurate. I did an entire episode on the board game and where it came from. You don't listen to me.
1: <laughs> I, I do listen to you, and I'm pretty sure you said Milton Bradley was uh, the inventor of the board game. Zero
3: percent. That's what I said.
1: All right. Whatever. Cat goes first.
3: Ooh. I asked the internets, how do you pronounce this name? And this is what it said. La voisine. So... Mm. That is how I will say it. And if someone disagrees, that's fine. But you're disagreeing with the internets. So yeah.
1: <laughs> you better be careful. You'll end up with a wishbone on your doorstep.
3: I don't know what that means. Catherine Che was born around 1640. And when she was a young lady, she married a jeweler and they had a Paris shop. But they didn't do real well in jewelry, and he went bankrupt, and she decided that she was going to handle the family budget.
1: Well, you know, if you're married to a husband who's a jeweler and he goes bankrupt, maybe you should have been at least keeping an eye on the budget to begin with. (laughs) I just I
3: just think that maybe they weren't
1: fiscally responsible.
3: No, I don't I don't think it necessarily had something to do with mishandling of finances. He just wasn't a
1: successful jeweler. Okay. Oh that's right. We're the ones that are fiscally irresponsible.
3: <laughs> so Catherine was a midwife and she had some medical knowledge. She took to practicing divination techniques such as face reading and hand reading in order to retrieve her and her husband's fortunes. So she then started to add features to her business. She started providing love powders and potions and, in some cases, poisons. She supported her family of six, including her husband, her mother, and her children. And she was known to have at least six lovers.
1: Wow, she was busy. Um mm. I can get on board with the whole love potion thing, Mm -hmm. but uh, distributing poisons willy-nilly, I'm against.
3: (laughs) I'm sure she had some sort of system to determine who got poisons and who didn't. I don't know if that's true. Anyway, she started to recommend to her clients that some of them— take action to make their dreams come true. Okay, Which is, I think, where the poisons came in. Mm. Um, These actions, though often, initially, were to visit the church and pray to a particular saint. Uh, She started to sell amulets, and gradually, more and more magical objects or rituals of various kinds worked their way into her business.
1: Okay, so she's building out her merch store. That's
3: right, exactly. Good for her. Uh, one of the things that I found was that she invested a lot in the appearance of her practice. Mm. So um, people came into her home. It was heavily draped, lots of rich fabrics. She had a beautiful crimson robe that uh, I imagine to be a crushed velvet, you know, Uh Yeah. Who knows? Uh, But apparently it was a very expensive robe. She wanted to appear as though she was legit, and therefore you should be able to trust her with her fortune-telling, her midwifery, her
1: potions and such. I'm picturing Whoopi Goldberg's parlor in the movie Ghost.
3: (laughs) Similar, I would think, um, except in the 1600s. From the late 1660s, La Voisine, as she had become known, had wealthy clients and had become a pretty famous fortune teller among the highest aristocracy of France. She resided in a place that had a beautiful name, is very (laughs) Frenchy, and she received clients all day long. She then entertained the Parisian upper class society at parties at night.
1: Is that where her six lovers came in?
3: Well, I don't, I don't know where they came in, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, apparently yeah, they were coming yeah, in. Yeah. If you know what I mean, I and mean. you know what I mean,
1: if you know what I mean.
3: In 1665 or 1666-ish, her divination was questioned by the congregation of the mission at the St. Vincent de Paul's order, and she was called in for questioning. However, Catherine, as I said at this point now, known as La Voisine, was very intelligent, and she stood in front of the professors at Sorbonne University and explained how her gifts worked. She was then set free for her skills and rhetoric and her impressive performance in front of her critics she was allowed to continue business stating that she was a fortune teller
1: so she was uh, essentially sanctioned she was, yeah okay
3: yeah She'd done enough.
1: Well, she had a really cool name and apparently a rather extensive merch store. So That's right. So that would lead one to believe that they were successful.
3: Well, and also the high-end clientele that she had, I would imagine, had some influence. So if they wanted for her to be able to continue her practice... Mm-hmm. Part of which, as I said, she started off in medicine. Part of her practice was providing abortions. So, if she was, uh, and at the time it was illegal in Paris, and again, a lot of her clientele was high end aristocracy, so they would want her to be able to continue doing this work quietly. (laughs) la Voisin soon became a very popular figure in the king's court rumors were aplenty though so her love powders allegedly included such ingredients as the bones of toads the teeth of moles spanish flies iron fillings human blood the dust of human remains
1: oh my so some pretty uh Typical potion ingredients. Yeah,
3: potiony stuff. Eye of Newt. <laughs> it was also said that she arranged for black masses where clients could pray to the devil to make their wishes come true. And during some of these masses, a woman performed as an altar upon which a bowl was placed, and then a baby was held above that bowl, the blood from which was poured into the bowl. And that blood was used for baby blood. Baby blood was used for ceremonies. Oh, my God. Now, again, this is allegedly.
1: Allegedly. Somebody commented somewhere on one of our pages, why do Kat and Jethro always say it allegedly? Why, why, do, why do they say it like that? The answer is, it's fun. Try. Try it right now. Do it with us. Ready? Allegedly. 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 See, doesn't it just feel good rolling off the tongue?
3: Now, if we're talking real talk, allegedly, mm-hmm. for me comes from tracy morgan's portrayal as star jones on saturday night live but you know whatever if you thought we were just having fun that's great i love that you'd like to have fun with me but it was a thousand percent tracy morgan's portrayal of star jones oh. on the view hmm. on snl
1: hmm. it's just fun to say <laughs> And now back to our story.
3: As I said, at this point, la was getting very popular in the king's court. Madame de Montespan, official royal mistress to King Louis XIV of France, was visiting la on the regular. In 1667, Montespan hired la voisine. Man, I'm getting good at this. Are you hot <laughs> yet? Ah, She asked her to... Perform A black mass. The mass was held and the goal was to pray to win the love of the king. Though she was the official mistress of the king, she didn't have the heart of the king and she wanted to be the king's one and only. Allegedly. Allegedly. That same year, whenever she had a problem with her relationship with the king, she would employ Catherine to do her uh, allegedly dark deeds. The king's frustrated lover decided she'd rather see him dead than uh, boinking someone else. Royal boinking, if you will. <laughs> but the king actually kind of became infatuated with another lady with a French name in 1679. And so la was asked to kill the two. Catherine disagreed.
1: Wow. Oh, she did. Well, Good on her.
3: At first. Oh. She she constructed this plan to kill the king with a poisoned petition. So basically, they'd ask to meet with the king. They'd hand this petition to him into his own hands. The petition, having been poisoned, would poison him, and then he would... But... They didn't get a chance to see him, so they had to do away with the plan. Apparently, he was only seeing so many people that day, and they had to burn the petition. However, some people caught wind of this plan. And right around this time, the king's sister-in-law had been killed as well, and there were those that thought that that had been a poisoning. Around this same time, very unfortunately, another fortune teller was arrested for poisoning so she claimed that she had information about crimes of high importance. Oh, no. Police then became aware that there existed a network of fortune tellers in Perry who dealt in the distribution of poison. Mm. It was then that La was imprisoned, and she was subjected to questioning. It didn't go great. Uh, Apparently, she was a pretty heavy-duty alcoholic, and the guards kept feeding her alcohol Ah. in hopes that the the more intoxicated she became, the more she would talk. And she did, but she never really said anything that was helpful, because she was drunk.
1: Uh, She was slurring. Yeah, I mean. Her confession.
3: Oh poison you poison you. Yeah, poison, yeah,
1: poison, poison you, you. <laughs> uh, poison you
3: On december 27, sixteen seventy nine, Louis the fourteenth issued an order that the whole network of fortune tellers slash poisoners should be <laughs> exterminated by all methods, regardless of rank, sex, or age. Really? Yeah. February 17, 1680, Lavoisier was put on trial and was convicted of witchcraft. She was sentenced to execution by burning two days later. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, she was executed in public in Paris. On February 22nd, 1680, there's quite a bit of disagreement about exactly how this whole situation went down. Did she use baby's blood in black masses? I, it's hard to say for sure. Because her clientele was aristocracy it could have been yes she was doing these things for these people because they requested it they had the means to pay for it or it could have been she was innocent and she was used as a scapegoat and you know who knows exactly
1: Uh uh-oh seaplane here comes the seaplane hey seaplane
3: God, when that plane stopped its engines right over our house mm-hmm. earlier today, I thought for sure we were going to end in a fiery hoop.
1: Yeah, this guy, well, we've we've talked about this before. Guy on the lake has one of those planes, those, you know, pontoon planes. When he's approaching the lake to land, he comes right over our house. And, um, well, this morning, right over our house, he cut his engines.
3: <laughs> I was a little concerned. I,
1: I impulsively ducked.
3: I thought maybe the wishbone was an omen. (laughs) Anyway. One of the things that I thought was most upsetting is the fact that we don't know exactly what she was guilty of. Because, again, corruption was rife. And in all of the sources that I found, which, by the way, I used Ancient Origins, Murderpedia, Wikipedia, of course, and LukeMastin.com. Anyway, one of the things that I did find uh, written in a lot of the sources that I was going through was that the whole way to her being strapped to the stake, she was trying to push the priests away, and um, when she was then strapped to the stake was uh furiously trying to push the hay and straw away from her feet that she knew was going to be Mm. lit and that to me makes it so human and so terrible and just reminds me of all of the horrible horrible things that we've done to people in the name of eradicating witchcraft and it's all of a sudden, this fun story about, you know, baby sacrifice got real dark. <laughs> and I was so upset. <laughs> I got real upset. Anyway, that's the story of fortune teller to the stars, Lavoisine.
1: And she was only one of many. Quote, fortune tellers. I was going to say, she was
3: like 50. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> that would be weird if she was a baby fortune teller. <laughs> she wasn't the only
1: fortune teller that was executed. That's right. She was just probably, well, if not the most prominent, right. one one of the most prominent yep. um, fortune tellers. Wow. Yeah. France was a messed up place back then.
3: Well, I mean, we really can't single out any country and say that was a messed up place. <laughs> We've all done it.
1: What, burned people at the stake? Yeah, sure. it's terrible. yeah. yeah. There's nothing quite as romantic as a roaring fortune teller fire.
3: Oh, that's not.
2: mm -mm. Mm. No. No. And now, that thing in the middle.
3: Today's thing in the middle is ways to say nobody asked you from around the world.
1: So these are phrases from around the world that mean nobody asked your opinion. Number five in English, of course, mind your beeswax.
3: Number four, from the French, deal with your own onions.
1: Number three. An Arabic phrase, you have no camel in this caravan. Number
3: two, who gave you a candle for this vigil? It's a Chilean saying,
1: and I love it. And number one, from Russia, you're not getting fucked, so don't wiggle your
2: ass. Those nutty Russians. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had
1: our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help.
3: Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings, while kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills.
1: Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely, thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way.
3: I don't know, like a quarter or something.
1: Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together.
3: Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free.
1: Greenlight.com slash oddities.
0: Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.
2: It's the podcast that famous people listen to, but only admit it to their pastors, therapists, or lawyers. And even then, only after a couple of cocktails. This is The Box of Oddities.
1: Hey, freaks, in our never-ending quest to find um, entertaining, well-produced, fun podcasts, we wanted to take a moment and tell you about Obsessed With Disappeared.
3: Obsessed with Disappeared is a true crime comedy podcast that tells the mysterious story of a missing person by recapping an episode of the ID show Disappeared. So it's a new podcast made by Patrick Hines and Broadway diva Ellen Marsh. They've been friends
1: forever. They are. See, this is what I like about this podcast is their chemistry. They're Mm. a hoot, a hoot, (laughs) as my mom used to say.
3: And Patrick Hines, you probably know from True Crime Obsessed. But obsessed with disappeared is a true crime comedy podcast, but the thing is it's not like tacky. You know how some true crime podcast can't really make that balance work? They're yeah. like, ha ha ha, dead, fun, bleh. And it's like, yeah, that's not how, no. Yeah. Stop that. It's respectful, but it's light and funny.
1: Obsessed with Disappeared. It's an easy listen. It's hilarious and informative storytelling from two best friends who truly love each other and will do just about anything to make the other person laugh. Sounds familiar. <laughs> um So if you're a Fascinated by cases of missing people, and you're serious about true crime, but you also love to laugh, you'll love Obsessed With Disappeared.
3: Find Obsessed With Disappeared wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Cindy sent us an email. She said, "Um, hey guys, so I had a dream last night that I was hiking and I encountered you two along the trail.
3: Oh, hey! Hey!
1: Not not the band you two, but I think she she means us, you and I.
3: I'd say that's preferable, and I'm not even that fond of us.
1: (laughs) (laughs) She said, "You guys were hunting Bigfoot. Shocker, right?" (laughs) So I proceeded to introduce myself as Amy Hoosel. My name isn't even Amy; it's Cindy Any Hoosel. I guess that's what happens when you fall asleep to the Box of Oddities. Love you guys. I love it. Amy Hoosel. Maybe we should get a mascot for the podcast.
3: Amy the Armadillo. Amy Hoosel. Amy
1: Hoosel The Armadillo. <laughs> the Box of Oddities Armadillo. Amy Hoosel. I, I don't love know. that.
3: There are a lot of treasures in the running for mascot of the <laughs> Box of Oddities.
1: <laughs> so my topic was also suggested by one of the freaks. Christine sent me this. The car? Oh, not the car. Oh, okay. And she sent me a link to an article in Out There, Colorado. It's the very bizarre tale of Denver's Cheeseman Park. Cheeseman Park? Cheeseman Park. Or I, I imagine it's pronounced Cheeseman, but Cheeseman Park, if you will.
3: Is that where they caught the Swiss cheese pervert?
1: It's in a, a really nice area. It's, it's kind of tucked between mansions. Cheeseman Park or Cheeseman Park. It's a green space that uh, has been very popular for over a hundred years. It's attracted outdoor recreation lover lovers for decades. It opened in 1898, and it's about 80 acres. And it's got trails and fountains, 2,000 trees, representing more than 50 species.
3: They know how many trees are in Cheeseman Park? They
1: do. Apparently- I love it. There's a person that is responsible for counting the trees in Cheeseman Park. Now, Cheeseman Park-
3: 2,000 trees. I don't know why I think that's so funny. Please continue.
1: (laughs) Cheeseman Park hasn't always been this ideal picnic location- Uh, More than a hundred years ago, it was not uncommon to uh, be walking around this area and find human bones and skin just lying about. Oh. This used to be a cemetery many years ago. Well, that would still be weird to find bones and skin just tootling. Just tootling about. It was called Prospect Hill Cemetery and eventually called Denver City Cemetery. They wanted to repurpose the acres. But between 1858 and 1890, it was a cemetery. Then things started to get kind of strange in January of 1890. And I guess the problem was some of the graves were kind of shallow, buried in those days. And because of the uh, environment, accelerated erosion in some areas. That's why bones and stuff would, would pop up. But by January of eighteen ninety, uh, the cemetery had, for the most part, fallen into disuse, and so Colorado Senator Henry Moore Teller convinced the u s. Congress to convert the cemetery to a park to be named Congress Park. I don't know how they ended up settling going from Congress Park to Cheeseman Park, but and so, at this point, they notified all the family members of people who had relatives and friends buried in the cemetery. And they said, uh, you've got a few months to get the bodies of your loved ones out at your own expense.
3: That's not, I mean, that's not, that's not how it should go. <laughs>
1: yeah, I, I didn't think so either. <laughs> um, as one might expect.
3: Didn't you already pay to have them buried? Like.
1: Yeah. I would imagine Oh, you know,
3: that's just like the government.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, digging up a body and relocating relocating it is expensive, and the government didn't want to pay for that. Uh, And so they tried to make the people do it, but some people couldn't afford to do it. Right. And so people that couldn't afford the costs just simply didn't go get their loved ones. They just left them there.
3: Sure. Plus, there's no way that you can track down a relative of every person that had been buried there. That's just not a logical thing. If you want to move them, it should be your responsibility
1: to move them. In addition to the loved ones and family members that were identified that were not claimed. Mm. Um, There were also a lot of graves that were unmarked. Sure. And uh, whether the gravestones had been lost. Uh, In addition to that, there were a lot of transients that died in Denver while passing through. Oh, yeah. As well as criminals. And nobody claimed any of these guys. No,
3: of course not.
1: So ultimately, Um, thousands of remains were left behind.
3: Sure. Unrelated. Um, Thanks for this time. I have recently followed a guy on tiktok who just goes around to cemeteries restoring old tombstones and it's a beautiful thing and i
1: love it and i'm obsessed with it oh that's wonderful it's so nice what a great idea
3: i'll see if i can find his name okay Okay, please continue
1: so as time passed, thousands of remains were left behind. Months and then years passed. Eventually city officials said, "Well, we've we've got to do something about this. We've got to get these bodies out." <laughs> so, um, they they decided that uh, probably it would be a good idea if they were going to proceed with this municipal park idea that it'd be dead body free.
3: At it, least for now.
1: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They hired a guy. He was an undertaker. His name was E.P. McGovern.
3: Yes, it was. Yep. In
1: 1893, they asked him to, uh, to take care of it. So McGovern and 18 of his employees were hired to dig up. They estimated about 5,000 bodies that were left in in this uh, old cemetery, and the per body fee was a dollar ninety, putting each new each body in a new casket. So that covered the cost of the casket. Basically, wow. he was he was digging them up for free, but he was being able to charge a dollar ninety for the for the casket. I
3: think that's I think that's entirely fair.
1: And then he was to relocate the bodies to another cemetery, which was about five miles away. It's pretty disgusting work, as you can well imagine.
3: Now, quick question. How is he identifying where all of these bodies are? I mean, if a tombstone had been destroyed or something, you wouldn't know. Yeah. where they were all buried.
1: Right, that's true. And the 5,000 bodies that they estimated, those were ones that still had grave markers. And wow. so, you know, if he stumbled across some unmarked graves, he would remove those too, but he was just focused on where he knew graves graves were. Okay. He would dig up a plot of land. Um, he would then put the bodies in a casket and then transfer them across town um, to this other cemetery. When... All was said and done. He was uh, estimated to make about $9,500, which would be about a quarter million bucks.
3: Gosh, that sounds like great work. It's just, you know, on your own. You're not dealing with the public. You're outside. You're getting exercise.
1: Which is why you loved your summertime job mowing graveyards. I
3: loved it so much.
1: It does sound pretty... Attention,
3: chanting. the town ta- <laughs> Attention, City of Bangor. Let me mow your cemeteries.
1: <laughs> so things were going pretty smoothly. But then oh, a little hitch in the get-along. The newspaper at the time, the Denver Republican, broke this story. It was pretty unsettling. They noticed, the city officials noticed, that there was a disproportionately high number of child caskets oh. that were being transferred to. To the site, and they did not have records of this many uh, children that had that had been buried there. So they thought, well, okay, maybe it's sloppy record keeping.
3: Was he lobbing in the, the bodies in half and putting?
1: <laughs> yep.
2: What? Yep.
1: No. As it turns out,
2: I'm so sorry.
1: McGovern realized that he could make more money the more caskets. He sold, because it was a prearranged fee. Man. So what he did was instead of putting the bodies in one casket, he'd break them in two and put portions in these children's smaller caskets, doubling and in some cases tripling the amount of money that uh, that he'd be paid. Wow. Some of the remains were pretty easy to split up, but uh, again, sure. according to Out There Colorado, some were more recent burials and he had to chop them Involved up. Involved more hacking. Yeah, with an axe.
3: Oh, God, that's all. <laughs>
1: Sorry. <laughs> the newspaper article from the Denver Republican describes the scene, quote, "...the line of desecrated graves at the southern boundary of the cemetery sickened and horrified everybody by the appearance that it presented. Around the edges were piled broken coffins, rent and tattered shrouds, and fragments of clothing that had been torn from the dead bodies. All were trampled into the ground by the footsteps of the grave diggers, just like rejected junk.
3: Wow. That is terrible. But also, I mean, it wasn't a very good deal in the first place. Just (laughs) $1.90 per... Yeah, well coffin like that's not specific in any way it doesn't involve the amount of time or labor it took to get those yeah in, it, it wasn't a good deal
1: he he found a loophole for sure
3: i'm not saying what he did was right
1: no i'm just but saying
3: it was a poorly
1: worded contract
3: organized contract yeah yes. so,
1: so surprisingly mcgovern's contract was pulled Gah. yeah so he's no longer on this project but that caused a new problem The contract was canceled, the work wasn't done, so thousands of bodies were still interred there. Some were still underground and untouched, but then there were those that were dug up and left on the ground that he hadn't gotten around to chopping up. Oh. So there were just bodies lying
3: around. Wow, that's terrible.
1: So now Denver had to hire somebody else. Things got even weirder. What? Yeah. Yeah. The city never hired another person to finish the job. Instead, they just started leveling the land and prepared it for the park. Stop it. Some of the open graves remained open for years. And ultimately, they were filled in with dirt and they put bushes and shrubs on it. The bodies that remained covered were just ignored. They were left behind and they were still underground when construction for the park eventually began, which was, I believe, 1907.
3: Now, this is a really interesting choice. Um, Many playgrounds choose wood chips (laughs) under the swing sets. Not not
1: corpses.
3: In this case, we've Mm. went uh, in in an entirely different direction. Okay.
1: CNN did an investigation on this. They revealed that as many as 2,000 bodies might still remain underneath the the ground at the park. And sadly, even to this day, they don't stay buried in many cases. It's not uncommon for people in the park to just uncover bones and sometimes complete skeletons.
3: Is it um, where it's a public space, you can metal detect there, yeah? Yeah.
1: Uh, If it's a park, a municipal park, I I think each municipality has different uh, laws concerning that. Mm. Technically, in the state of Maine, if it's government-owned property, you need to get a permit. Oh, okay. But most people don't, you know, they don't really enforce that. Huh. In 2010, four preserved skeletons were uncovered. (sighs) This is according to the Denver Post by uh, people who were doing some irrigation work. In 2008, crews were working near the uh, Denver Botanic Gardens and uncovered two complete rows of coffins uh, still in the ground. And because of the heavy rain, it brings the remains to the surface uh, pretty pretty quickly.
3: That's rough.
1: Now, again, according to the CNN investigation, they found that uh, one of the reasons why they did not go back and finish Unearthing the bodies is that some of the bodies they did dig up back in the original exhumation were still relatively well preserved, lots of tissue and Squishy. protein left sure. on their on their frames, and a high number of these bodies, uh, these people had died of smallpox, oh. and they still had the pox. You they could were concerned s- yes. about
3: infecting.
1: Got yeah. it. So there was concern that digging up these uh, remains might expose people to smallpox. It was still a threat in America. we should just leave them. Yeah, we just leave them lying around.
3: Rather than safely take care of them, (laughs) we're going to just leave them. See what happens.
1: There were still quite a lot of active smallpox uh, deaths in, in the area. In fact, in Denver in 1922, there were 226 deaths due to smallpox. But studies show that it's extremely unlikely that there could have been any sort of smallpox risk from the bodies buried in Cheeseman Park. The routine vaccination of smallpox in America stopped in 1972 uh, when a national eradication of the virus from the country had taken place. But it's been determined that these remains would uh, not likely be carrying any form of this virus, nor would it be transmittable. So people strolling around Cheeseman Park to this day, especially after um, a heavy rain, maybe you're taking a summer stroll, there's a pretty good chance you might spot something sticking up through the ground. Don't worry, you won't get smallpox, but it might gross you out. I don't
3: think smallpox is the concern for most people <laughs> when it comes to corpses reaching up out of the ground. When I see a hand reaching up, Evil Dead style, mm-hmm. my first thought is not, oh, communicable diseases.
1: <laughs> well, actually it's one of mine. Maybe <laughs> not specifically smallpox because I come from the generation where they they would vaccinate you at school. You can always tell what generation a person comes from if they have a scar on their left arm or their right arm if they're left-handed. You had to line up at school and then they just infected you all.
3: Yeah, it's a neat-looking scar too. It's like, it looks like you got burned with a cigar.
1: It does, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I tell people. It's nice,
3: because we've got matching, but (laughs) mine's from when I burned myself with a cigar.
1: (laughs) So anyway, Cheeseman Park, that sounds nice.
3: (laughs) Oh, wow, that was a lot. It was a lot. It was a lot to take in. Yeah, yeah, it certainly was. And now I have the song Cherry Hill Park stuck in my head, (laughs) which I'm not crazy about.
1: With the words change to cheeseman park
3: yeah and i keep also this is just how how what uh, this is just to to illustrate what's happening in my brain right now it's cheeseman park gruyere (laughs) gruyere (laughs) fondue though yeah Mm, brie some people are named brie that's different though fondue gruyere Cheeseman Park,
1: Patrick Swayze, (laughs) armadillos, (laughs) monkey, monkey
2: underpants.
1: (laughs) Hey, we got some really nice things in the mail and we wanted to take a moment and thank you.
3: (sighs) Okay. First of all, I'm wearing.
1: Oh, earrings. Yeah.
3: Huh? Little ASMR with my earring gifts. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, so, Melissa sent us a care package. Melissa is from Connecticut. And Melissa sent us this package of stuff that was just like we pulled out one thing after another, and everything was more awesome than the last thing. And about halfway through the box, I started crying. Yeah, you did. And it's just
1: that boo sign. Yes. That was hand painted. And it had a lot of phrases on it, like Amy Huzel.
3: <laughs> um, yeah. So there was the boo sign with tons of fun box of oddities, terminologies <laughs> on there. Some beautiful earrings, a tardigrade Christmas ornament, <laughs> a bag of candy, which I still have the bag that it came in. And a beautiful letter, and we just appreciate it so much. And anyway, that's it. That's
1: it. Thanks a lot.
3: Thank you so much. And
1: and thank you to everybody who has taken the time to send us a note. Uh, Whether it's in the mail, we get cards from people it's it's really nice to see that people still do handwritten letters and notes right (laughs) yeah yeah it's pretty great
3: and we've received Uh, a lot of love over the last month or so and uh it's just it means a lot whatever i'm not going to get into this again
1: all right we'll see you next time
3: until then keep flying that freak flag
2: and fly it proudly you beautiful freak and so let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you and its fate is in your hands. The Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. The TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash Box of Oddities Podcast. On Twitter at Box of Oddities and Instagram at Box of Oddities Podcast. Copyright 2020 All Rights Reserved.
3: I tried to get a screenshot of David Ortiz's picture of corn, mm-hmm. and I apparently it oh. was changing screens to... Oh, oh that really pumps me out. I lost David Ortiz's picture of corn.
0: If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The Big Picture Questions and the Most Interesting Research in Science.
2: Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science. And as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charles, your your the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books as I delve into